0: on the hill filled with thrills and chills turn off the lights and light a candle pull up a seat if you will you are listening to lights out radio Music According to studies and research, there are approximately 25 to 50 active serial killers operating in the United States today. The average person unknowingly walks by about 15 murderers in their lifetime. You are now tuned in to Serial Killer Saturday. Hello, everybody, Welcome to another Lights Out Radio Serial Killer Saturday edition. And as always, I'm your host with the most, Justin. Hope everybody's doing okay. Thank you for stepping in, stepping by, saying hi. Hope everybody's doing okay. I know the world's a little crazy. I know people are running around. Things are just kind of chaotic right now, right? So, I mean, you never know when your last minutes are going to be. So the people in your life you care about... Make sure you tell them you love them. Make sure you tell them you appreciate them, you care about them. Hold them close. Show them some love. Man, spend some quality time, right? Live life. Don't just survive it, all right? And with that being said, we're just going to jump right into the show, okay? So we got a few breaking news things, and then we're going to jump right in to Madame Delphine LaLaurie. The first piece of news we got going on is going to be Samuel Little, which coincidentally, was the last episode of Serial Killer Saturday, so if you didn't have a chance to jump on that, and you don't know who he is, go ahead and check that out. In my opinion, he's one of uh, the United States' most prolific serial killers. The LAPD knew him as the Stroke and Choke Killer because he often masturbated while he choked his victims. And in an interview with the New York Magazine, Little said that he stuck to the ghettos because it was easier to evade being captured. He says, I never killed no senators or governors or fancy New York journalists, nothing like that. If I killed you, it'd be all over the news the next day. I stayed in the ghettos. Well, anyway, Samuel Little is now permanently in a wheelchair uh, because of his diabetes and heart condition. He's 80 years old. He's serving like seven life sentences, I think. Um... So, I mean, he's on his last strings anyway, but he is permanently in a wheelchair now, and there you go. That's the news on Samuel Little. And like I said, if you don't know who he is, he's a very interesting person, very interesting character. Go ahead and check out that last video, that last Serial Killer Saturday I did, and check him out. And the next current news story we have to get into is Delmas Colvin. Now, if you don't know who he is, I'm going to touch a little bit on it. I'm going to touch on the current event that got him in the news lately but he is in ohio serving like six or seven life sentences no parole uh but there is some breaking news in the story so i'm gonna cover that and then i'm probably gonna do a whole episode on him uh because he is an interesting character he was known as the interstate strangler he was an over-the-road truck driver but i'm gonna do a whole episode on him because there's way too much to cover and such a little bit of time um so i'm just gonna touch on the current events and a little bit of who he is But expect a whole show on him if you want to know more. So I know a guy that was about a quarter of a mile away from where they had set up their command center. Um, And he had posted it to social media, which is how it was brought to my attention. But a stretch of LaSalle Road, which is in LaSalle, Illinois, Peru. It's like North LaSalle, uh, Peru border in Illinois, if you're familiar with the area. But either way, that stretch of LaSalle Road was shut down um, so law enforcement agencies could perform an investigation using cadaver dogs. The dogs got a hit and found two small bones that could be human at a now-shuttered truck stop where Delmas Colvin said he dumped the body of a woman after killing her, LaSalle County Sheriff Tom Templeton told the local news. The bones were taken to an Illinois State Police forensic anthropologist for analysis. Sheriff Templeton also stated that as of Thursday, September 3rd, the investigation had been suspended due to heat issues with the dogs involved in the search. Templeton said that the break will allow further examination of the evidence. Delmas Colvin, a.k.a. Heavy, a.k.a. the interstate strangler, has been serving six life sentences in Ohio since 2004. He got convicted of seven murders, Although he has told police that he has killed and disposed of as many as 52 female victims. So I know what you're thinking. It's kind of what I was thinking. If he's been locked up since 2004, why is there a 16-year layover between this investigation? And it is very interesting, the answer. So let me go ahead and answer that for you. Enter Phil Chalmers, a criminal profiler in Florida, last month released a 43-minute podcast that he has called Where the Bodies Are Buried. It's compiled of several telephone interviews he did with the 61-year-old Colvin. A description of Colvin's podcast describes him as a lady-killing, long-haul trucker, drug dealer, and truck stop pimp. So this is where they came up with the investigation because he pretty much, no, there's no pretty much he did. He admitted to this crime on the podcast. So I'm going to go ahead and read some some of the excerpted quotes for you. And that way you can kind of get a feel for where it's coming from. But I do want you to keep in mind that this story is being read as quotes. So the language is there. I mean, you're talking, it's a serial killer telling you a story. So, you know, take that for what it is. Heed my word if you need to. But Colvin said he was doing paperwork in the cab of his truck outside of a flying J in LaSalle, Illinois, when the woman knocked on the door. I said, beat it. Get the fuck out of here, he said. The woman left but returned a few minutes later. Colvin said he went into the store, bought a few logbooks, returned to his truck, and strangled the woman in the sleeper bunk of his rig. He said he then drove away from the store, heading west. It had begun to rain, he said. Colvin said he recalled an abandoned truck wash and headed there. It was deserted. No one goes down there. It's dark and it's scary, Colvin said with a laugh. I pull all the way in the back, the weeds are so high, and I just remember picking the body up on my shoulder and into the woods I go. He dumped the body and got the hell up out of there, Colvin said. He bagged up the woman's clothes and dumped them in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Colvin recalled the unidentified woman as wearing dirty sweatpants, dingy shoes, and a dingy t-shirt with a cartoon character like Garfield or Tweety Bird on it. She was white with dishwater blonde hair. Her hair was combed over her right eye because the eye was blackened, Colvin said. Someone dotted that eye, he said, with a laugh. It wasn't me, though. Colvin told Chalmers he took the woman's body into an area across from the truck wash about 30 feet from the road and dropped her there. Sheriff Templeton stated that preliminary results of the tests on the bones are expected to come out next week, and he also said that investigators will search the area where they were found next week as well. So anything breaking or anything like that, any new news that comes out of this, I'm going to be sure to let you guys know, so stay tuned for that. And like I said, if you're interested in him, you know, look him up, do your do your own research, but I'm going to do my own show about him because he's quite the character, Delmas Colvin, aka Heavy, aka the Interstate Strangler. But I am going to go ahead and leave you with this little tidbit from Colvin in the podcast Colvin told Chalmers that being a long-haul trucker is a perfect setup for murder. Anybody that drives the interstate at night, what do you see at night? Trucks, he says. And if you actually think I was the only one doing this, you are sadly mistaken. Chalmers agreed. He said every time I talk to a serial killer truck driver, they all say the same thing. There are many of us out here. So you might want to be a little more careful about that truck you cut off on the interstate, about that guy you talked to at the rest area, or who you mess with at these truck stops. Just a word for the wise, just going to throw it out there. And now we're going to go ahead and cut to a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to cover the story of Delphine McCarty, a.k.a. Madame Delphine LaLaurie of New Orleans. So don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. (laughs) Yo. Hey guys, this is Justin from Lights Out Radio. Everybody that knows me knows I'm always looking for that one of a kind piece, that rarity, that funky, fresh new stuff. And so when I look around for horror decor or stuff out of movies that I want to see made into reality so I can put it into my collection, I hit up Splatterhouse Studios. They're based out of Richmond, Virginia. They specialize in movie accurate props and home decor for horror fans. Um, You can check them out on their Etsy page. You can check them out on their Facebook page. And if you want to get a hold of them to request something special, one of a kind for you, go ahead and do that. You can hit them up on their Facebook page or you can send an email to Studios at gmail.com. The customer service is always great, always friendly. Their attention to detail is phenomenal. They always want you to get what you want. So they're always doing the best they can to touch base and clear out any details. I mean, the whole process from ordering to shipping is hassle-free. And if you go to them and use the code Bloody Radio, you will get 13% off your order. And any order over $200 gets a free gift. So go ahead and hit them up. Check them out on Etsy, on Facebook. You won't be disappointed. Go ahead and get that piece you've always seen in that movie that you've always wanted in your collection. Send them an email. Send them a message on Facebook. See if they can make it happen for you. Once again, Splatterhouse Studios. If you use the code Bloody Lights Out Radio, you'll get 13% off your order. So go check them out, Splatterhouse Studios—the best in movie-accurate props and home decor for horror fans. Yeah. And welcome back, everybody, to Lights Out Radio, and I'm still your host with the most, Justin. And we're going to jump right into this. So Marie Delphine McCarty or McCarthy or Madame Blanc or Madame LaLaurie, she was born March 19th, 1787 during the Spanish colonial period in New Orleans, Spanish Louisiana. She was married three times, the first time being while she was 13 on June 11, 1800. Her second marriage was June of 1808 and her third marriage was June 25, 1825 to Leonard Louis Nicholas LaLaurie, who was much younger than her. It was at this time she bought the property at 1140 Royal Street in the French Quarter in New Orleans, Louisiana. And it was in 1832 she had a two-story mansion built there, complete with attached slave quarters. She lived there with her third husband and two of her daughters and maintained a central position in New Orleans society. So in my opinion, she was definitely a socialite, social climate type of person. However, the marriage showed signs of strain because on November sixteenth, 1832, Delphine petitioned the First Judicial District Court for a separation from bed and board of her husband, in which Delphine claimed that LaLaurie had treated her in such a manner as to render their living together unsupportable. Claims which her son and two daughters confirmed. The separation does not seem to have been permanent, as Dr. LaLaurie was present at the Royal Street House April 10, 1834, the day of the fire. Now, why did they petition that? Why was there a little separation, a little bit of rockiness? I'm guessing, with my best guess, that it was because of what was going on there, which we're about to get into, so hold on tight. So, funeral registers between 1830 and 1834 document the deaths of 12 slaves at the Royal Street Mansion, although the causes of death are not mentioned and infectious diseases could easily have been the cause, that it still kicked up enough talk around town and enough public rumors, that Lollerie's mistreatment of her slaves were sufficiently widespread that a local lawyer was dispatched to Royal Street to remind Lollerie of the laws for the upkeep of slaves. During this visit, though, the lawyer found no evidence of wrongdoing or mistreatment of the slaves by Lalaurie. With that said, though, subsequent to the visit of the lawyer, one of LaLaurie's neighbors saw one of her slaves, a girl about 8 to 12, fall to her death from the roof of the Royal Street Mansion while trying to avoid punishment from a whip-welding LaLaurie. The body was subsequently buried on the mansion grounds. The little girl's name was Leah, L-I-A, and people had came to the notion that Leah had been brushing Delphine's hair when she hit a snag, causing LaLaurie to grab the whip and chase her. It's also noted that this incident led to an investigation of the Lollaries in which they were found guilty of illegal cruelty and forced to forfeit nine slaves. Now these nine slaves were brought back to the Lollary mansion by her family. So her family bought them and then I'm assuming the Lollaries paid the family that bought them. Either way, they got those nine slaves back, which is kind of messed up in my book, but... You know, what are you going to do? And also, there's recounted stories that LaLaurie kept her cook chained to the kitchen stove and beat her daughters whenever they tried to feed the slaves. Just a crazy wild bitch, in my opinion. Like, there's got to be something wrong with you to be able to do stuff like that. But all of this changes on April 10th, 1834. A fire breaks out in the LaLaurie mansion, starting in the kitchen. When the police and the fire marshals got there... They found the cook, a 70-year-old woman, chained to the stove by her ankle. She later said that she had set the fire as a suicide attempt because she feared being punished. Now, I'm just going to break for a minute. Like, it's got to be some kind of a punishment. You know, that's a lot of fear to rather... You would rather burn alive than be punished by somebody. Like, so, I mean, there's gotta be some crazy stuff going on, right? You would think. And so, it goes on that the woman chained to the stove, the 70-year-old woman, she told the police that any slaves taken to the uppermost room or the attic never came back. And as reported in the New Orleans B, it was the local paper at the time, of April 11th, 1834, Bystanders responding to the fire attempted to enter the slave quarters to ensure that everyone had been evacuated. Upon being refused the keys by the Lalauris, the bystanders broke down the doors to the slave quarters and found seven slaves more or less horribly mutilated, suspended by the neck, with their limbs apparently stretched and torn from one extremity to the other, and that they had claimed to have been imprisoned there for some months. Now there was talk around town that those who responded to the fire found male slaves, stark naked, chained to the wall, their eyes gouged out, their fingernails pulled off by the roots, others had their joints skinned and festering, great holes in their buttocks where the flesh had been sliced away, their ears hanging by shreds, their lips sewn together, intestines were pulled out and knotted around naked waists, there were holes in skulls, where a rough stick had been inserted to stir the brains. Now, keep in mind, these are just rumors. There's no... I can't find any evidence anywhere of any of this. So you can imagine people, you know, go a little overboard with their storytelling and stuff. But there would have to be some craziness, right, to even, to even go from whatever it really was to that. Like... There has to be, there can't be that big of a gap between the stories, I wouldn't think anyway. But either way, when the discovery of the abused slaves became widely known, a mob of local citizens attacked the Lurie residents, and demolished and destroyed everything upon which they could lay their hands on. A sheriff and his officers were called upon to disperse the crowd, but by the time the mob left, the property had sustained major damage with scarcely anything remaining but the walls. The slaves were taken to a local jail where they were available for public viewing. The Bee reported, that was the local paper back then, remember, that by April 12th, up to 4,000 people had attended to view the slaves to convince themselves of their sufferings. Now, that's kind of fucked up, too. I mean, these people were just tortured for months, according to them. And according to, you know, the rumors around town, the the depth of the torture, the... Why would you want to see that, for one? And why would you put that on display for two? That shit's just crazy to me. Like, why would you want... I don't know. Sign of the times, I guess, man. And the only actual news evidence I can find after the raid by the community... Was that two people, two of the slaves that had been found in the mansion... Had died since their rescue. That digging in the yard, bodies have been disinterred... And the condemned well on the grounds having been covered. So they were digging up the grounds and they found more bodies. One of them being little Leah, the the 8 to 12 year old girl that had fallen off the roof. But it is noted that during the mob violence... Lalaurie had escaped. She had taken a coach to the waterfront and traveling by schooner to Mobile, Alabama, and then from Alabama to Paris where she died. Now her death's a little tricky too, because according to her death record in from Paris, from France, she died on December 7th, 1849. However, in the 1930s, Eugene Bakes, who served as the sexton to the St. Louis Cemetery Number 1, discovered an old cracked copper plate in alley four of the cemetery. The inscription was Madame LaLaurie, that she had died December 7th, 1842. And on top of that, there was a rumor in 1888 that LaLaurie had died in France in a boar hunting accident. So who knows, really? I mean, it's just craziness how it's just so mysterious. It's so weird. But I guess that's what happens when... So let's get into this real quick. Like, I cannot believe that they got away with this shit. So they tortured these slaves and all the shit that they did to them, like, and then they just get away scot-free because they got money, because they were able to have the money to get themselves from New Orleans to Alabama and then from Alabama to Paris and then they just ride it out in Paris for the rest of their life. That's fucked up, man. I can't believe that shit. Can't believe she got away with so much crap, you know what I mean? And since then, the La Mansion has been used as a public high school, a conservatory of music, an apartment building, a refuge for young delinquents, a bar, a furniture store, and a luxury apartment building. Now, there are stories and rumors, too, that anybody that owns the house automatically inherits some kind of hoodoo or voodoo curse. This goes into play with the owner when it was uh, an apartment building. I guess he ended up meeting a very untimely fate. But needless to say, in April 2007, actor Nicolas Cage bought the house for a sum of about $3.5 million. To protect his privacy, the mortgage documents were arranged in such a way that Cage's name did not appear on them. But on November 13, 2009, the property then valued at $3.5 million was listed for auction as a result of foreclosure because Nick. He was in that, that tax issues, you know what I mean, the IRS. And it was purchased by Regions Financial Corporation for $2.3 million. Now, it's said that Nick only spent one night in the LaLaurie Mansion. So he owned it for two years, give or take. and But he only spent one night there. He never goes, I can't find anything about him talking about that night or anything else. But he only spent one night there. And then none of his family would come spend the night there or anything like that, which is kind of crazy. So I guess he consulted a local medium and they told him to break the curse. He needs to bury himself or build a mausoleum, build a grave or, you know, buy a grave, you know, whatever, buy a grave plot or whatever. As close to Marie Laveau, the voodoo queen of New Orleans, he need- he needed to buy one as close to her as possible. So what does he do? He goes and buys one and builds it right there and it's a big white pyramid there's a lot of back and forth about him buying this because he had to have graves moved so people were moved for him to be able to buy that and build that there so there you go and by the way just a quick side note has anybody seen that time traveler picture that's compared to Nicolas cage like that that's kind of a crazy thing right like that's just kind of kind of mind-blowing right Like, I don't know where that picture came from, and with today's technology, it could be fucking anything. Anybody can do anything nowadays, it seems, and you really have to go by the person to figure out, you know, if it's really real or whatever. But it's kind of crazy seeing that picture next to his picture. You never know, just a crazy little side note made me think of that. And another side note, oh, if anybody's never watched American Horror Story, I think it's the third season, The Coven or whatever, Kathy Bates plays an amazing Lalaurie. I just thought, I just wanted to throw that out there. She does an amazing job. I loved her character. And the lady that plays Marie Laveau loved it too. She did a great job. And now it's owned by a guy. I can only find his last name, Waylon. Uh, he's an energy trader out of Houston. And he owns it now. And he pay, he bought it from the bank, I guess, for like two and a half mil, something like that. And so, yeah, there you go. That is the gruesome story of Madame Delphine LaLaurie. You guys have a good one. Thank you for stopping in, stepping by, saying hi. I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. Much love, many blessings. This has been Lights Out Radio. Yeah.